Hey Tiger, this podcast contains language and explicit themes. Babes, welcome to this body, a podcast about being in a body. I am your host, Sophia, and I am recording this in Pasadena, which according to the New York Times is the only place in all of California worth visiting in 2024. Weird. We're having a moment, it seems, right up there with Vienna and Morocco, probably because we have a new and enormous Erewhon. And if you want to hear about that, you can go back one episode to my From LA With Love series. And if you want to follow me on hideous Instagram, I am at Sophia Forever. I'm recording this on Martin Luther King Day 2024. Happy birthday, Dr. King, and rest in peace. Dr. King was the youngest person at 35 to win the Nobel Peace Prize. We live in your light, sir. Thank you. So I hope you're handling the seasons of your life, the journey from cradle to grave. Guys, have you been to Sephora lately? During the pandemic, I sat at home and examined my face in the mirror and decided that, yes, it was time at 41 to update my skincare regimen. I wished to be soothed by a shopping experience, but I was in for a rude awakening when I entered a Sephora for the first time in some time. In an era where contagion's a public enemy number one, the aisles and testers at Sephora were debased. Truly a two-mask proposition. And it was noisy and busy. Nary a comfort to be found. If TikTok is to be believed, there's been an influx of younger shoppers at Sephora lately. Brand Drunk Elephant seems the main antagonist with its videos about combining products to make product smoothies. Something kids are doing in the aisles with testers. Sol de Janeiro, Glow Recipe and Summer Fridays are also popular with children. Sephora employees and shoppers have taken to socials to vent about the related mess and alleged bratty entitled behaviour. Whatever the facts and stats are regarding Sephora, it's true that marketing to children in the USA is a long-standing tradition, like butchering a billion turkeys every year to commemorate genocide at Thanksgiving. Sick but fittingly dissonant. Drunk Elephant has cute packaging that appeals to children, nothing new there really. It's the acids and retinols and products not designed for 10-year-olds that's freaking people out. That and the mess and the judging of the parents, which is also the mess. It's not weird for children to be interested in makeup and beauty. It's not weird at all. At that age, I used to be allowed to buy 99-cent mud masks from Jeff's Emporium on Dominion Road in Auckland on occasion. It's all part of the fantasy of growing up and being an independent adult whose life is going to someday be so cool. But the ramped up expenditure and perceived necessity of products is irreconcilable with the 80s single mom, single income childhood I had. My mother would not and could not buy me expensive skincare. She didn't even reliably have moisturizer for herself in the house. We couldn't afford it. Count Your Blessings was basically tattooed into my psyche by my elders I did want for some things I now feel are essentials, but you can't have what you can't afford. And of course, there was no social media. 
TV and magazines were bad enough, though. I hate to imagine a childhood online. When I was 10, my teacher was a loud feminist, and she taught 90 kids a year all about it. When our three classrooms would get together, Ms. Q. Sabs would get into lively debate the other two teachers, a young Englishman and an elderly Kiwi woman, about equality and sexism. These teachers allowed our brains to really grapple and work during peak neuroplasticity. It was the 80s in New Zealand. Thinking about this now, I don't think it would be allowed, but it was amazing. New Zealand was the first country in the world to give women the vote. It happened in 1893 as a result of the suffrage movement. America didn't catch up until 1920, almost 30 years later. That's so retrograde. My life in America didn't begin until my mid-30s, and it was like starting again in terms of sexual politics and race relations. Like, I've had to learn some very shocking truths about heterosexual men in this country and what the matter is with them. Still unclear. I don't want to go into all that today, but I'll say that before being human, we in America are addressed first by our consumer identity and proclivities. So we're consumers first. And sometimes that's all we are forever if we don't intercept it and understand that we can be more than a buy now, jerk off now, porn addicted cog in the system. Naomi Wolf wrote The Beauty Myth when she was 28 and it came out in 1990. It's about women gaining economic power and patriarchal society lashing back by enforcing impossible beauty standards, giving birth to the beauty industrial complex. <laughs> when magazines could no longer hook women with ads for cleaning products, after the second wave of feminism in the 60s and 70s, along came the beauty industry to fuck us. Girls are never meant to attain the standard. The standard keeps shifting to ensure this and ensure their purchase power keeps getting funneled into products that end up on Trash Island and that's not beautiful at all, is it? Choking the oceans with our confusion and chaos. They will buy more things if they're kept in the self-hating, ever-failing, hungry and sexually insecure state of being aspiring beauties. It must be said that Naomi Wolf has had a few run-ins with the fact-checkers. In the beauty myth, she reported that 150,000 women died in America each year of anorexia, when the real stat is that 150,000 women suffered from anorexia in America per year. But where Wolf was haphazard, Susan Faludi was damningly methodical. Faludi's book Backlash came out the year after the beauty myth and was an era-defining phenomenon. It was an immaculate assessment of the position of women in Reagan's America and the methods of corporate goliaths to keep women in place. Not all American women were given equal attention in this book, and by that I mean it's really more about white women's position. In hindsight, Faludi has expressed regret at not going deeper into intersectionality. You can read her thoughts in the show notes. As far as I can tell, there is such an absence of unity between black and white feminists, and that's probably our most immediate challenge. Sojourner Truth, who escaped to freedom in 1826, wrote in her famous Ain't I a Woman speech, I am a woman's rights. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed. And can any man do more than that? The speech addressed the lack of recognition towards black women in the promotion of equal rights. 
A link to the speech can be found in the show notes. Sojourner Truth wrote that nearly 200 years ago. So what does that tell you about the power of the backlash? Naomi Wolf wrote, for every feminist action, there is an equal and opposite beauty myth reaction. I would say that's an inaccurate set of numbers. The ghastly truth is, for every feminist action, there is a fucking deluge of backlash with billions of capital and the weight of the entire patriarchy behind it. Before the internet, movements and backlashes were slower. There was at least some time to look back on errors and to reflect and respond. Now we live the whole thing at hyperspeed. Several trends and backlashes can happen in a few hours. And instead of a thesis summary and a plan of activism, all that happens is feuding. But it's always been the attention economy. And in 2024, it's working really well. We're lost in the source. And with education in America being such a psychotic proposition these days, I doubt many 10-year-olds have a working knowledge of the feminist movement. I mean, in the last few years, some states have banned teaching actual American history choosing to call it critical race theory. Sorry to tell those people, we in New Zealand learned all about black civil rights in a module in history class in the 1990s. <laughs> what in the actual fuck is going on? In 2001, in the months before 9-11, my then boyfriend and I were driving through Europe in an 80s V-dub Jetta that had no stereo. No cell phones, no GPS... Ugh. <laughs> we had a map and a copy of the beauty myth that I read out loud on long stretches of the autobahn. By the time we got to Switzerland, we were both not just feminists, but female supremacists. It was a fun journey. Before filters over our faces and our curated persona being the whole of the law. Of the male gaze, Wolf wrote... Men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. So women have always been meta. The male gaze is the last thing a girl needs disturbing her peace. I'm going to tell you something about the male gaze that I learnt when I was 17 and doing a brief stint as a stripper. Men are easy. What you need to know about them can be learnt in an afternoon. It's really that simple. A few facial expressions, a tilt of the head, a bat of a lash. Ass, pussy, tits, hole and that's it. The centre of the donor. The real journey of interest is one a girl takes towards realising her potential. I came of age during the grunge era. Hey! Kurt Cobain was a feminist. Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill married Ad-Rock from the Beastie Boys and his band evolved from homophobic sexist babies to the men they are today, showing that, yeah, misogyny can be unlearned. Culture is in a fucked place right now. It feels like our genres are locked down. Compared to the amusing musical pairings of yesteryear, Wu-Tang in Texas, Jane's Addiction and Ice-T, we've lost fluidity within the body politic. I think we need to be smarter about the backlash to pay attention to how our lives intersect and where concerns differ. A lot of listening for members of the dominant culture so that our struggle towards patriarchal emancipation has teeth. White supremacy and patriarchy function as one and the same in this year of our Lord, 2024. At least Sephora and the beauty industry have a few new shades of foundation. Fenty Beauty is really killing the market. The irony of it all. The TikTok video that kicked off the whole Sephora tween conversation shows 20-year-old Chloe Van Burkle doing a get ready with me whilst talking about the young consumers at Sephora. 
As she contours her face, she uses her concealer wand to act both as an extension of her hand talking and to apply product. It's a real moment of cognitive dissonance. A woman's body is a political battlefield. A woman's body is a threat. A woman's body is objectified, but it is not an object. A woman's body needs to bear clean, good weight for bone growth, not the dirty weight of society's expectations. Beauty goes well beyond glorious, glowing skin, and the getting of the glorious, glowing skin comes largely from within. Take it from someone with glorious, glowing skin at 44. I have a few beauty tips. Protect your instincts. Explore your sexuality independently. Start gua sha instead of Botox. Massaging the face helps with lymphatic drainage and it deepens your self-love. If there is a choice, always go for flow and movement rather than freezing and stalling. Embrace truth always. Don't lie. Don't bargain. My number one beauty tip is something no one ever wants to hear, so I'll keep it brief. Go vegan. Just do it. The glow is real. I believe it's not just because the body is more fluid, but also the soul is lighter. There's no way around the fact that condoning the torture and murder of others makes us ugly. Not sorry. The best gift I ever got was my first diary at age nine. My mother gave it to me. I still have it. And I've kept a diary my entire life. Naomi Wolf was critiqued for being less of a researcher and more of a memoirist. She didn't have the gift of the zoom out. By stark contrast, Joan Didion was a master of the zoom out. In her essay on keeping a notebook, she famously wrote... I think we are all well advised to keep on nodding terms with the people we used to be, whether we find them attractive company or not. This is how we get to the heart of ourselves and find our own truth and beauty. Young people today really are about freezing time and never getting old. The fear of getting old is founded on facts, though. Bette Davis said getting old ain't for sissies. And Elizabeth Taylor, the raving beauty of her time, said this. I think beauty has its own curse. As long as you realize it's a very superficial thing and uh, something that can disappear in a second and means nothing. Plastic surgery freaks me out. That year, me and the ex were in Europe. We visited a friend in Belgium who just had extensive lipo and her boobs done. When I saw her all wrapped up in bandages under her clothes, I cried. She looked so beaten up. I hope my eyelids stay off my eyelashes and my chin doesn't disappear into my neck folds. I guess I wouldn't rule out an upper blepharoplasty if I could somehow justify risking death for it. But hopefully gua sha and a sunny outlook will see me right. Beauty is a tool to get where you want to go. It's also something to enjoy and cultivate on a soul level to appreciate the transient nature of things. Life is a cherry blossom, blooming in fullness for but a moment. The unexpected truth is the falling petals make the prettiest paintings. And this is a story of our lives that includes the laws of time and space that we humans are bound to. We have been bestowed many gifts. Uh-huh, honey. How can we use them wisely? That takes some age and some experience. Teach your children well. As for Sephora, I'm switching to Nordstrom. Babes, thank you so much for your ears today. 
If you got all the way to the end, please rate, review, and subscribe to this body podcast. Till next time, play it tough.